Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Good evening. Welcome to Golden Triangle Church on the Rock. I am so glad you are with us this evening. You know, I love midweek services. Midweek services are so biblical. You might say, what are you talking about? Well, you know, there's something very special in that last week of Jesus' earthly life and ministry. The Bible says he went up in the middle of the week to the temple and he taught. And there's one midweek service. And then as well, you may remember if you've read the book of Revelation, right in the middle, right in the middle of that seven years, three and a half years in, there's something very special. There's a great harvest. And, uh, you know, again, pointing out the fact that in the middle of the week, it's important. Something happens in the temple and with God's people in the middle of the week. And why not? Why would God leave us a whole week without anything to do or any word to do? Well, that's why I love midweek services. It's that refresher. It's that encouragement. You know, it's that, uh, it's that cool drink of water. Well, welcome to our midweek service. You know, today's word and every word that we get is designed to do two things. It's designed to instruct us because we need to be instructed. We need to know the Word of God. We need to study the Word of God so that we can show ourselves um, approved of God and able to be used as we rightly divide His Word. Studying His Word, being instructed in His Word is a part of our responsibility. Receive instruction. But also, not only should we be instructed in the Word, we should also be inspired with the Word. So every church service and every message should have some hint of instruction and also some element of inspiration. Not only should we be instructed so that we'll know what to do, we should also be inspired to do it. You know, we should, you know, leave church, leave the study of God's word, you know, leave worship, uh, not only, you know, knowing a little bit more, going a little deeper, but also having a, having a desire, a motivation to go and do something about what we just experienced. Well, tonight we are in part two of the coming of the Lord. Uh, last Wednesday night, we had communion, and thank all of you who participated in that communion service. It was amazing. And we studied a little bit, part one, about the coming of the Lord from 2 Thessalonians 2. And we looked back at the reason why the Apostle Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians uh, and, and was explaining. It's because his first letter, about six months earlier, had uh, been misread, misinterpreted, misused. Uh, in, in some way, the truth had not been uh, uh, championed, but people had actually uh, been made afraid. And the Apostle Paul did not want to leave the believers in Thessalonica afraid of the coming of the Lord or afraid that they had already missed it or missed the gathering together of the church unto Christ. And so he sits down here and, and is answering these concerns. And when we get to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, listen to what verse 1 says. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him. You see, those two things are one event, you know, a dual occurrence or, or a dual event happening in one occurrence. 
One is the coming of the Lord and also our gathering together unto him. When the Lord comes, we will be gathered together unto him. We will be you know, drawn up and, and there we shall ever be with the Lord. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul had written. You know, that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you know, at that last trump, you know, I mean, uh, uh, yes, it is true that, that the Apostle Paul told them earlier that Jesus would come as a thief in the night. But he also told them that, that you are not, you know, um, those that are going to be caught in that darkness uh, uh, because you have the light. Well, now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him, we ask you, we encourage you, we beseech you not to be soon shaken. Don't be alarmed. Don't be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Don't worry. You haven't missed it. You know, uh, don't worry. Uh, anyway, our takeaway from last week is do not be afraid of the coming of the Lord. That was our takeaway. Do not be afraid of the coming of the Lord or, indeed, of our gathering together unto him. Now, the Lord is coming for you in your lifetime. Whether he comes for the whole church or not in your lifetime, he's coming for you. And, and we should not be afraid. This is what we, we took away last week, that we should not be afraid of, of, of going to heaven. We should not be afraid of our, our gathering together unto him. That last day will come ex unexpectedly for a lot of people, but uh, it will not be like a thief in the night for us, only for the world. Paul is writing this letter of 2 Thessalonians to the church in Thessalonica. He's encouraging them to look forward to the coming of the Lord. It's a word of encouragement. He's encouraging them to look forward to the gathering together, as we should as well, whether it's a corporate gathering or if it's an individual gathering together unto the Lord. We are to look forward to it. You know, end-time events should not scare us. They should not make us afraid. Even our own end time, even our last days, when we know it, we should not be afraid. The Bible tells us that others have no comfort. We should be comforted in the fact that we know where we're going and we know that he will never leave us and never forsake us, that our gathering together unto him is something to look forward to. Well, anyone who tries to use death or the last days, or the potential uh, you know, rapture of the church, or the potential you know, of a coming of, of, uh, of, of the Lord for us individually. Anyone who tries to use that uh, in an attempt to make you afraid, or in an attempt to control you, is misrepresenting. They are mistaking, misrepresenting, misusing the truth. The truth is, it's a word of comfort and encouragement. Let's pick up in verse 3 now, where the Apostle Paul is continuing to encourage the believers in how they should approach the subject of the coming of the Lord and of the gathering together unto him. In verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come. Hold it right there. Wait, 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 wait. The Apostle Paul said, don't let anybody deceive you. That day will not come. You know, if we stopped right there, that's what I call 
hack journalism. Now think about it. You might say, preacher, are you talking about things going on today? Yes, and so was the Apostle Paul, and so were many others. Things that are going on today, hack journalism. Don't be a hack journalist. Don't stop right in the middle of something that somebody is saying and use the words they have said to prove something that they never meant or that's not true. It happens, by the way, on both sides of the aisle. Aren't you a little bit tired you know, we can tell we're in the last days if for no other reason than we have such a divided agenda. I'm passionate. God said he would be, he, he rather we be hot or be cold. Well, I'm not lukewarm. I'm very passionate. I'm just passionate about middle ground. I'm just passionate about being up in the road instead of being in either ditch. You know, the world today only offers two ditches. That's what the world will offer us. You can get in this ditch with us or you can get in this ditch with us and we're going to hate the other ones and we're not going to provide any common sense middle ground. I am passionate. I'm not cold about it. I'm not lukewarm about it and neither should you be. You should be passionate. It's like, you know, what, what uh, you know, was asked of the angel. Are you for us or are you against us? And the angel said, I'm not for you and I'm not against you. I'm for God. Now, where do you line up? Come on, get up on some common ground. We want and we should want and we should champion what is best, not only, you know, uh, for our communities and our families and, and uh, you know, our world and our nation. What's best? But what's best in the eyes of God? And that probably won't end up in either one of the ditches. So don't just stop in the middle of a sentence. Yes, the Apostle Paul wrote and said, don't be deceived. That last day will not come. But he didn't stop there. He said it will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition. <laughs> now the apostle Paul here is talking about that, uh, that falling away, that apostasy, which is the Greek word apostasia. And it literally means a falling away, a departure from, a forsaking of. The apostle Paul said that that last day, that day of the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Lord and the rapture, if you will, of the church will not happen unless and until there is a forsaking of the doctrines of the gospel of Christ. Well, I think in today's world, we pretty much qualify for that. This has been the subject, by the way, of so many debates. And so many scholars throughout the century have, have uh, uh, discussed and debated just when is this coming of the Lord? What is the timing of the coming of the Lord? Uh, this subject uh, and, and the arguments over it have divided so many denominations and never were intended to be a, a, a divisive element uh, of, of, of truth. Uh, you know, even close friends, even families have separated over their differing opinions as to when this event will happen and in what order these things will take place in the last days. You know, again, the Apostle Paul was, was upset that people had used his first letter to bring alarm and to bring fear. He would be just as upset today that people have used his writings 
to bring division and arguments and separation in families and churches. You know, it's, it's a shame because it was never meant to be divisive. I cannot claim to have the answers and no one else can either. But I can tell you that we are in the last days. In fact, we are in the last hour. It's possible we're even in the last minute or two. How can I be so sure about that? Well, in reality, I have it on good authority. For over 1,900 years ago, the last living apostle, John, he wrote to us in about the year A.D. 95, give or take two or three years. In 1 John, the second chapter, in verse 18, this is what he said. Little children, it is the last hour. Now listen, if he said that 1,900 years ago, it's the last hour, don't you imagine we might be in the last few minutes today? He said it's the last hour. He continues, as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. He's saying we can mark it as the last hour because there is a spirit of the Antichrist already at work in the world. This apostasy that was spoken of by the Apostle Paul in A.D. 52 and later by John in about A.D. 95 or 98, you know, is this same thing. It is declared that we are in the last hour. We're in the last days. And it's not something that should make us afraid. It's something we should be aware of and something that we should be comforted in that this will not come upon us as a thief in the night. And we need to make sure that we are a light shining in darkness. We need to make sure we realize that there there are antichrists. There is a spirit of the antichrist already at work in the world. And John penned this letter, the book of Revelation. He penned this letter as it was dictated to him by Jesus. And he starts out writing to these seven major churches that were close to him geographically. All these churches that they were written to were in Eurasia in chapter 2 and 3. And he's writing to them about a common concern. And that is that some other spirit, some other, some other um, a priority, some other goal, somehow the world had already succeeded in infiltrating the church. And that's what he wrote to the seven churches about. You know, you're doing good, you're doing good, you're doing good, but this is a problem, this is a problem, this is a problem. And the way you need to, to remedy the problem is hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church and overcome these problems. And this is what the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica. He's not saying that, that the end is coming, so, you know, uh, just, you know, uh, there's nothing you can do about it. He is continuing to encourage them, just like he also wrote to Timothy. You know, in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, the Apostle Paul uh, gives the spiritual and moral climate of a world during the last days that the Apostle John said we were already in, leading up to the tribulation period. You can read about it. But this is what the Apostle Paul told Timothy. He said, perilous times, in the last days, perilous times shall come. Dangerous times 
shall come upon the earth. He said, you can mark these last days because you will see men turn selfish. Mankind will become selfish. They will become greedy. They will be boasters. They will be filled with pride. They will say ungodly, blasphemous things. They'll curse God. We even publicly see that today on our televisions. You know, they won't say anything politically incorrect, but they will say things blasphemous against God. We're in the last days. In the last days, it will be marked by children being disobedient to their parents. And uh, people will be unthankful and unholy and unloving and unforgiving. I'm just reading the list out of, out of 2 Timothy 3. And they will slander people. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a world where people would publicly say ugly things about other people and slander ugly things that are not the truth? In the last days, people will slander other people. People will be without self-control. They'll be brutal. They will despise things that are good. They will be disloyal. They will be stubborn, sarcastic. They will love carnal pleasures more than they love the things of God. They'd rather, you know, be out enjoying their carnal pleasures than in the house of God, worshiping God and working for Him. In fact, 2 Timothy 3 says that in these last days, there will be people that look like Christians. They'll be no doubt going to church. They'll be singing the songs. They'll be talking the talk. They'll know all the right words. And, you know, they will look like Christians, but they're going to act just like the world. Wow. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. They, the, denying the power that changes lives, that converts a sinner, that, that, that renews a mind. They will be stuck living like the world, believing that they're living right and righteous, but deceived by that antichrist spirit. And they will look like, sound like Christians, but they'll be living like the world. You won't be able to tell the difference between the real, you know, uh, the, 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 the person who's lost and the carnal Christian. Wow. He concludes those first five verses in verse 5 in 2 Timothy chapter 3 by saying this. From such people, turn away. What's he saying? Stay away from these kind of Christians. Stay away from these kinds of believers uh, because they have forsaken the true message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and have embraced a spirit of the Antichrist and have become apostate believers. Now, I mean, we need to be instructed and we need to be inspired but we need to be instructed with the truth. And this is the truth. He continues in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's read verse 3 again because we kind of get, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to get sidetracked here. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. I think it has come. And there's another event. 
The man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. You know, unless and until we see someone identifiable and recognizable standing up and opposing all that is called God and exalting himself above you know, whatever world leader may come upon a scene that exalts himself above God. What do you mean? That means he can say that I don't care what God said. You're not going to pray in schools. Opposes churches opposes the word of God and exalts himself above all that is called God and all that is worshiped and so that he sits as God in the temple of God now let me ask you where is the temple of God we're in a new testament period the Bible says, know ye not that ye are the temple of God? Don't you know that you are the temple of God? You, you know, that spirit of the Antichrist sitting on the throne of our hearts declaring himself to be our God so that we're serving some Antichrist agenda. Oh my goodness, he sits in the temple of God and declares himself as God, showing himself that he is God. Listen, we are not God. Man is not God. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. Verse 7, Paul writes, For the mystery of lawlessness, lawlessness is already at work. It's what John said. It's already here. It's already here and it's already at work. Now, do I believe in a literal, physical antichrist? Yes, and I believe he is coming on the scene. And I believe we are in the last hour, maybe the last minutes. And I do believe that, that the church in power, you know, having gone through this great falling away, that the church in power will see, will know who that, that embodiment of the antichrist is. But don't think for one moment that the spirit is not already at work, that spirit of the antichrist, and trying to move believers into apostasy so that there's no difference between the person who claims Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and the person who claims, you know, that Jesus never even came so that you can't even see a difference. You know, the church is not called to be relevant to the world. We are called to show them Christ. We're not called to become fish. We're called to be fishers of men. We're not even called to become bait. But we're called by God to be fishers of men. And the bait we have is the goodness of God and the truth of God. For it is the truth that sets men free. How can a believer in Jesus Christ be certain that they are not being deceived by the spirit of the Antichrist. John wrote again in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the Spirit of God. This is how you can know the Spirit of God. 
Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Now, now there is a spirit in every man. And there is a spirit that dominates every man, every woman. There is a spirit that dominates every person. And if the spirit that is dominating a person's life and controlling their mind will not confirm that Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, has already come in the flesh, then that spirit that is dominating that person, that spirit that is instructing and controlling that person is the spirit of the Antichrist. That's about as plain as it gets. There has come a great falling away so that even in churches across America and around the world, Some pastors of churches standing in their pulpits refuse to confirm with all authority that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, lived a sinless life, died an atoning death, paid for the sins of mankind, and salvation comes only through faith in his name by the grace he provided on the cross of Calvary, being raised on the third day victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave. Anything less than that is apostasy. Anything less than that is the spirit of the Antichrist. He continues in verse 3. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You see, the spirit of the Antichrist is already here. Don't let him sit in your life. Don't let him dominate your mind. Don't let him lead you into apostasy, into a departure from the faith that was once delivered to the saints. In light of these things, what can we conclude about the coming of the Lord? Well, I'll leave you with two don'ts and one do. Remember, we should be instructed, but we should also be inspired. This is the inspiration part of the message. This is what you can do to make sure that you have a takeaway from the lesson that you learned, something to put into practice. Number one, from the first message, don't be afraid of the coming of the Lord. Do not be afraid of the coming of the Lord. Number two, do not live the life of an apostate believer. Don't be drawn back into the world in your mind or in your carnal pleasures. Don't live like the world. Don't just have a form of godliness and deny the power that transforms us into a new creation in Christ Jesus. And number three, test every spirit. Because the spirit of the Antichrist is already here. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus. We're not afraid. We're not going to live, Lord, like 
lost sinners. We're not going to live like the world. We're not going to act like the world. We're not going to get in either ditch. We're not going to say good and evil. We're going to live the tree of life. And God, we will try every spirit. Those that do not testify of the word of Almighty God, we will just accept that as the spirit of the Antichrist, which is already at work in the world. Let's pray and ask God to inspire us in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for your instruction tonight, Lord. We thank you for your inclusion. And God, Lord, we pray over the gifts, Lord, and the givers. Father, I ask you to rebuke the devourer on behalf of those, Lord, who are bringing their tithes and their offerings. Lord, I pray, Father, you would multiply them, Lord, in this, uh, in, in, in this reservoir, Lord. Uh, uh, God, that you would multiply them, Lord, in this storehouse so that we might continue to meet the multifaceted, unfolded, growing needs of a world, Lord, and our communities, Lord, and communities like ours around the world. God, bless your people, Father. Open up windows of heaven and pour out upon them blessing after blessing, Lord. Count it as good soil and seed in that good ground. And Lord, I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that you would keep our people safe, Lord, and keep them healed, Lord. Keep them connected, Father. And Lord, let their families be blessed, God, and covered in the name of Jesus. And Lord, as you have inspired us, Lord, we want to seal this word in our hearts that we're not going to be afraid, Father. And we're not going to live the life of an apostate believer. Lord, uh, people will be able to see the difference between us and those that are in the ditches. And Lord, we will also make sure that we follow that spirit that confirms Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Help us to do that, Father. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.